Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Let me pray for us one more time as we get going uh, to the message. Uh, God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this community. Uh, We we praise you for where you've taken us uh, from the beginning of this journey as a church. Um, Just remember gathering, um, as we were gathering to to launch, uh, to help just be present for Missio Day, Edison Park start, uh, just reminded me of the days when when a few of us were, that are still here, were at this meeting, but just um, meeting and praying and asking God, what would be good news for this neighborhood? What would be good news for, for Chicago, for Lincoln Square? And so, God, I pray that we'd still be a community that steps out in faith to be good news, that steps out in faith to to be present with you and to bring other people along in the journey. So, God, we thank you um, for your presence. We thank you, Jesus, that you do make all things new. We pray that you would restore that, that which is broken, that you would um, energize us with your, your faith, um, give us a gift of faith. And if you would right now, would you just um, ask God to speak to you this morning? Um, ask God to meet you in the deepest um, recesses of your heart, um, to... to strike a nerve or core, um, a part of your being that, that would be uh, eternal. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I want you to turn to a couple places. One is Exodus 33, and then you can save Mark 6 if you want, but Exodus 33 is probably where we'll begin. Um, today. So um, today I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you about uh, this uh, phenomenon of uh, this, a second wind, right? Like second wind is this phenomenon that is like often with uh, athletes or those things. Um, I'm, not, I'm not able to play sports that much anymore. <laughs> I used to love playing sports. Uh, and, but now the one thing I do that I hope I can continue to do until I'm an old man is play racquetball. I love playing racquetball. Um, me, uh, many of you know Scott Robinowitz. Uh, he used to be part of here. He's now at Missio Day Uptown. Um, he's my racquetball partner. He hurt his back, uh, and I haven't been able to play racquetball for months. So if anybody wants to anybody play racquetball, please let me know. Love to, to get together. Need a, need a new racquetball partner. Um, but uh, we would, we'll get together and play uh, sometimes for, you know, two, three hours straight. Um, and just like running all over the court, making crazy. Sometimes we're just making crazy shots, and we're like, "Oh gosh, we should, how amazing would it be if we could see the replay?" You know, we just reliving days, like trying to relive as if we're something and we're not. We're just normal dudes playing racquetball. Um, but uh, there's some days where you're just playing so hard, so straight, and we're just usually like, "I will win maybe the first game, and then I'm too tired, and he wins all the other games," um, because he's a much better athlete. He used to play college basketball and. He's a, he's, a, he's a better athlete than me. Um, but there was one day where I, I was just exhausted. We were both exhausted. We were just both flat out exhausted. And something came over me where I just started to play like a hero. I was just like, something came. It just, I was so tired, but I just went out and went, just came back and had this amazing game. And I go and I take home my son Jude because they have some childcare there. And I mean, when I, when I play sports, my face is like blood red just gets blood red. I'm just like sweating, exhausted, tired. And um, my three-year-old, like, it was bad enough to where my three-year-old was like, Daddy, are you okay? 
And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Um, and something came over me in my body where it, I think it was death. <laughs> uh, it, it basically took over my body, and I just like got home and passed out. Um, just was gone, took a nap, just dead for the rest of the day. Um, but in the moment of the game, like I was so tired, but it just didn't, I didn't even feel like I was tired. It was the, what they call a second wind. Um, uh, I was looking at Wikipedia, it says second wind is this. It's a phenomenon in distance running, such as marathons or road running as other sports, where an athlete who is out of breath and too tired to continue suddenly finds the strength to press on at top performance with less exertion. So they're able to perform at top performance but with less effort. And it's feeling similar to a runner's high, but the most obvious difference is a runner's high occurs after the race. And so I think a lot of us, we want this, uh, I thought, well, man, if this is a physiological phenomenon of a second wind, like, like there's got to be a spiritual phenomenon of a second wind. Um, that, that, and I think that that just is a, a word for us as a church, um, that it is time for Missio Day collectively to discover our second wind. Uh, is a time for us to press into uh, a sense of where we can do more with less effort and beyond exertion because of the power of the Spirit. That we can do more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine because of His presence with less exertion, but yet somehow we individually discover the second wind in the second season of life, the second half of our lives, that where we are able to somehow be as close to Jesus and more in love with Jesus than we ever were when we first came to know Jesus, but yet in a way that's completely more mature and holistic. And, and, and I think that there's this sense where, it, I love it, it says that it's similar to a runner's high. We all want the runner's high, right? We all want the, the runner's high is like when you finish the race. You finish the race and then you feel that euphoria, that sense of, uh, sense of oh man, I can do anything, I'm on top of the world. But a second wind is different. A second wind is when you've hit the wall. When you hit the wall in life and out of nowhere, you journey through the wall. And so what is it, I want to look at, uh, in Mark 6, when Jesus is walking on water, we're going to look at this, this idea in, in further detail. Before we do, um, I want you to uh, have your Bible open to Exodus 33, um, because I want to give some backstory that's going to help you understand this passage and help you understand how we get this second wind. Um, so uh, I taught on this passage uh, in our Holy Spirit series in which Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, when Moses uh, this is way back, thousands of years before Jesus. Um, Moses would meet with God, and it would be an intimate meeting. And it, the Old Testament says that no one could really see God's face and live. Um, but what the Lord said to Moses is, the, uh, Moses said, God, show me your presence. Uh, he says, this very thing that I have spoken to you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. Show yourself to me. Show me your face. I want to see you. I want to know you. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Note that word, pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Next slide. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by where you will stand on this rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Three times I've passed by. And then I will, that, that word pass by in the Hebrew, it's, 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 it's somewhat more of a euphemism that's like the place that I already, the place I just was. So what, what, in the Old Testament, like you, you couldn't really see God's face, but what you could see was the place where God just was. 
that you couldn't, you couldn't contain him, you couldn't touch him tangibly, but the place that he just was, that's where God showed, shows up, and you could see where he was. And he says, then I'll take, I'll take away my hand, and you shall, not, you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So, in the Old Testament, when God revealed himself, it was, I'm going to reveal to you the place I just was, I'm going to pass by you. You got that? Um, now, uh, turn to Job, uh, or go ahead into Exodus 34. So then he says, um, the Lord, verse 6, passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, this is the most clear statement of who God is in the Old Testament. It's quoted in the Bible more than any other verse. God says that the, I am a God of mercy, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, and so God said, this is who I am. This is my character. Now, now I want you to go to Job chapter uh, 9. Job chapter 9, again, God is showing Job what he's like, all right? He says, truly, I know that, and we're going to get to Mark 6. I know you guys are so anxious about it. I can tell. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but <laughs> how can a man be in the right before God? If one wishes to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, God is. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Remember who, who hardened God, uh, his heart against God in the Old Testament? Pharaoh, right? He says, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? You can't harden your heart against God and succeed. He who removes the mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. Next slide. Who commands the sun and it does not rise. We all know that too well in Chicago. Who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. So God is the God who can trample the waves of the sea. That's important. Who made the bear in Orion and Pleiades in the chambers of the south. Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Now, so the God of the Old Testament is the God who we see is revealed where he just was. And we see that he tramples on the waves of the sea. Now, now go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and um, in this passage, uh, Jesus, last week we saw Joseph Taylor, uh, who's one of our church planners in Missio Dei, taught on how Jesus fed the 5,000. Um, Jesus' uh, cousin just was beheaded, John the Baptist, by King Herod. So Jesus is in a season of mourning, in a season of grief, but yet he had compassion on these crowds. Uh, and it says in Mark 6, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him. Bless you. That word made is the word for force. He forced the disciples. He's like, I'm grieving. I just had all this massive like, moment with this, this, this community. Um, I'm forcing you to go without me on this other side, which you're probably like, whoa, that sounds mean. But no, he's, he, Jesus is like, I need, I need some solitude to myself <laughs> here. And he goes, and he, and he says, um, go to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So he, he dismissed the disciples first, which I find it interesting, that he keeps the crowds there, and then he dismisses the crowds, and then he goes and he goes to the mountain to pray. Sound familiar? Who went up to the mountain to pray in the Old Testament? Meet with God, Moses, right? Um, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone in the land, and he saw that the disciples were making headway painfully, struggling against this storm, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is between three a.m. and six a.m. Uh, walking on the sea, he meant or purposed to pass them by. You guys making the connection here? Ding, 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 ding. Pass them by. 
God says, I'll pass you by, show myself to you. See, if you read this in isolation, you're just like, man, that's, what a jerk. Like, he's like, go out on the ocean. I'm just going to mean to, like, pass by you because I'm going to go to Bethsaida and get some falafel, guys, before you get there, you know? And, like, what is he doing? What is he talking about? Out of context, you have, it just looks like Jesus is like, I, I just want to pass by you here. You're in the slow lane. I'm in the fast lane. And I'm going to get, you know, my, 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 my grub on. <laughs> but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. They were ghosts, literally phantom. They, they thought it was either like a, an evil spirit or, or some kind of unidentified presence like we talked about. For they all saw him and were afraid. Now, you have to get this, that, that they, that, many of us read this story about Jesus walking on water, and we tune out. Because we're like, I've read this story, I've heard this story, I know the story. Jesus walks on water, you can trust him in the storm, right? You know, you can, you can trust that God can do all things, and, and so trust him in the middle of the storm, he can walk on water. But what we see here is like Jesus is doing, there's some truth to that, but what Jesus is doing is this, he's flexing his God muscles, not trying to show off, but it's more of like, I'm a human being, but I'm more than a human being. I'm the embodiment of God, that is what he's trying to show them, that just as God passed by Moses in the Old Testament and revealed himself, I, the disciples all throughout Mark don't get it. They're constantly, um, they, they, it's just like many of us. Their journey, he said, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. We get excited in that initial journey of Jesus. We begin to serve God in different ways. We join a community. And then we kind of hit this wall. And, and the disciples kind of hit a wall where they're like, okay, Jesus, you're the healer guy. You're the teacher guy. But that's basically their framework for who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, no, I don't think you get it. I am God embodiment. There's no other way that Jesus is trying. Jesus is clearly trying to show them, I'm the revelation of God. Before you couldn't see God's face, now you can look directly into the face of God. You can look directly into my face. You can see me. I'm going to not just pass by you. I'm going to talk to you face to face and show you that I am God. Now we see God as Jesus of Nazareth. We hear his voice. We see God's tone now. Because of Jesus, if you want to know what God's like, you look to Jesus. You want to know what God's tone is towards you? You listen to Jesus. Do you want to know what God's posture? Read, read the Gospels. Read the book of Mark. This is what God is like towards you. He is the fullest, best picture of God, and God is speaking in a language now that you and I can understand. And that's what I love about Jesus, is he's changing our assumptions about God. And so if you want to get your second wind, you're going to have to challenge your assumptions about God. Jesus challenged the disciples' assumptions. They're like, he's a healer. He's a political messiah. He's a good teacher. That's their assumptions of who Jesus was. He says, no, I'm actually God in the flesh. And you guys don't get it. You know what's interesting? These two passages are meant to be read together. Uh, we'll read it maybe later. We'll, I'll just reference it. After this, it gives a summary statement about Jesus. It says that he gets on the other side of the shore, um, which they never make it to Bethsaida. They go to uh, this other name, uh, Gerasana. And these people have never met Jesus. They've only heard about him. These the disciples have seen the feeding of the 5,000, miracles, healings, casting out demons. They still don't believe. These people have only heard about Jesus, and they're like, can I just touch the cloak of his garment, and I'll be healed? And they're right. That he can, that they have so much faith, and then we see that they get what the disciples should have got. Now, uh, if you want to get your second win, we have to, we, we, we import into the word God in America all sorts of things. 
Um, each of us have our own vision of God. All of you. All of us. Here's the problem. We're all wrong. Some of you are more wrong than me, but we're all wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I have things that I think about God that are off. When I get to heaven, God's going to be like, Brian, you know, you got this. This was right. This, not so much, right? Like, we, all of us in this room, all are a little off in our understanding of God. We can't fully, fully have the most accurate vision of God until we see him in eternity. And so when Jesus agrees with you on everything, you aren't following Jesus. Like if, if, if Jesus lines up perfectly for your vision of your life, I, I, would, I would challenge and ask you and consider you to realize that it may be that you're, you're, you're following a, um, a false vision of Jesus. And so Jesus must challenge you if you're following him. Now, this, this, this picture of Jesus, he, 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 if we're going to get our second wind, we have to understand our brokenness. That's the second thing I want to show you. First, we have to change our assumptions about God, challenge our assumptions. Second, we have to have a greater awareness of our brokenness, right? We have to have a great awareness. The disciples in this passage do not have that awareness yet. It actually ends, if you keep going, um, let's finish the passage. It says, and, uh, but immediately he spoke to them and says, take heart, it is I. Oh, we've got to come back to that phrase, it is I. It is I, in the Greek, is the word ego me. And when God revealed himself in the Old Testament, he said, my name is I am. That's how God revealed his name. He says, I am who I am, period. God is, God is. That's the definition of God. He's like, who are you, God? God is. <laughs> I am that I am. And whenever the Hebrew, when it was translated into Greek, what did, they, what did that Hebrew passage say? God says, ego me. That's who I am. It means I am. So when they hear Jesus say, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. And so he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand. <laughs> Listen to this. For they didn't understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. I'm like, Seriously, Mark? Like, you got to have a better. That's a C plus in English class. You're talking about a storm. You're talking about Jesus walking on water. And they didn't understand about the bread. <laughs> You're like, what? Like, so what's happening here is, is, is what, are, what they're saying is, is these miracles that Jesus was doing, it wasn't really about the bread itself. It was about the fact that Jesus was the bread of life, that they didn't understand. Their hearts were hardened. They had not been broken yet. They didn't have an understanding of their own brokenness, that they needed a Savior. They needed a Deliverer. They needed the I Am. And so for many of us, if we're going to get through this journey of the wall, it, when you, when you, the, to use the sports analogy, you don't get through the journey of the wall until you realize, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I'm spent. I have nothing left. But when you realize you have nothing left, that's when God can show up and walk on water. That's when he comes. And I love it. Don't, don't you love it? I love after a storm. You ever notice how a storm, like the light, just pierces through oh so clearly and so fiercely? I just love that. It's not until you go through the storm that you can see the light so clearly and fiercely. And it's when we experience our brokenness. And so um, God reveals himself in the storm. I don't like storms. Storms are these symbolic things for rough, brutal things in our life, right? We all know that. If you're even anything like me, I just want you to take that out. Jesus, take me out of that right now. But Jesus does, does something. He reveals God in the storm. He shows him his revelation in the storm. So we get, see God in the storm, in the crisis, in the diagnosis, in the brutal pain, and that which is hard. That's where we experience God, and that's where we learn more and more 
what God is like. And God's plan for you, always God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. God's plan for you is always better than your plan for you. It doesn't mean that the cancer or the storm is God's will or he made it happen. It just means that whatever happens, God can bring good of it no matter what. Jesus can walk on water. So whatever it is God's heart for you, your life, if you're living in like God's heart for your life or the antithesis of God's heart for your life, you follow a Jesus who can walk on water. He can bring good things out of divorce. He can bring good things out of abuse. He can bring good out of failure, disappointment, anxiety, depression, addiction. All you have to do is let him in your boat, as cheesy as that sounds. And if we're going to get this second wind, we have to, uh, I want to talk about two things together here. Um, we're going to have to have a greater faith in the mystery of God. If we're going to get a second win, we have to have a greater faith in the mystery of God. And second, we have to have a greater detachment. I'll get to explain what those those things mean. But first, a greater detachment. Detachment is this great secret of interior peace. Along the way in life, we get like attached to things, literally nailed to things. Behaviors, habits, people uh, in an unhealthy way, like whether it's you love your home, your car, your books, Ashley, my wife, my children, my church, good health. Like you and I rarely realize how attached we are to something until God removes it. Then the power struggle begins. And I say, God, I got to have that. I've got to have that second car because it's a convenience. I've got to have this amount in my savings account, something bad happens. I've got to have this spouse for it to be happy. And then this desire, which is a good thing, God wants this desire, becomes a demand. And the thing I hear is like, God, I want this, becomes, no, you better give me this. And so God is, we, we've got to have a greater sense of attachment. When you go through the journey of the wall, you have to detach yourself from all exterior expectations or else you will not perform at highest level with no exertion. Otherwise, you'll be like, everybody else is exhausted. I'm too attached to everybody else's expectations, so I'm not going to go out and go out and get my second wind. Everyone else is, is done. Everyone else is spent. Or I'm going to coddle over here with this thing and, and, and make sure that this thing comforts me because I'm exhausted. No, like we have to have a greater sense of detachment. And in these, the, the wall is this cutting off from our attachments to who we think we ought to be or who we falsely think we are and shed off the layers of our counterfeit self to something truer that is in Christ in us and through us. And now we don't even actually, I want to say, we don't even see this in this passage, but Matthew writes this story and he writes it with a, another character that we don't see, which is Peter, right? The one we're most familiar with. Mark doesn't share the story of Peter because Mark's obsessed with showing how much of a failure all the male disciples are, to be honest. Um, and we'll get to that later. But we're going to go to Matthew because we need to see the good news. Because <laughs> in that boat, none of these disciples worshipped. None of these disciples were, they were all afraid. Their hearts were hardened. But Matthew tells us something that Mark doesn't tell us. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. This is the Matthew version, same thing. But immediately Jesus said, take heart, ego of me, I am, don't be afraid. And Peter, you got to love Peter, right? Answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I love that. Not like, think about this. If we're in the boat, we see a figure, and we see, we're not sure if it's Jesus, we're going to be like, Jesus? Walking on water? Seriously? Jesus, if it's you, like, do another miracle. 
No, that's not what Peter says. Peter says, if it's you, call me to walk on the water. Do you see that? Basically, if it is you, you make me the best me I can be. If it is you, you transform me right here and now. And you make me perform at my highest level with the least amount of exertion. And you cause me to walk on water because you have the power to do that. So if it's you, transform me. Transform me right here and now. And Peter got out on the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter detached himself from all exterior expectations. He detached himself from his past. He said, my past is no longer to find me. If you're going to get your second wind, you have to know where you came from, where you came from. And you can't let other people define you by your past mistakes. Saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You're so-and-so the party animal from college. No, that is no longer who I am. Jesus called me to walk on water and I did it. I'm a new person. That's no longer who I am. So back to the passage with Peter. Um, he says, but when he saw the wind, he said he came. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Now, I think this is where all sermons begin to focus. Jesus, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. All right? We forget to just talk about the fact that Peter walked on freaking water. <laughs> he walked on freaking water. He went where no man has ever been before. Ever. And he walks out to Jesus, as crazy as this sounds, and he, he sinks. But look where he came from. He walked out of the boat. He came out of the boat and walked on water. That's a pretty amazing thing. And then he said, uh, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Um, like, this is crazy because what happens is, um, I think what happens is, is we, we get in this place where we cry out, save me, uh, to God, and we don't hear anything. And, and I think we, we don't hear anything uh, because we haven't been walking with Jesus. So we don't know where he is when we cry out for help. But Peter has walked with Jesus. He's with Jesus. So when he cries out for help, Jesus brings him right up because Peter knows exactly where he is. I think a lot of us, we cry out for God for help, and then we hear nothing, and then we blame God, and we think God is punishing us, we think God is absent. But the deal is, is you're only crying out for help, but you're still attached to the thing when you're in help, that you're trying to still get help from the thing you're attached to. You're still trying to get help from the thing, the job, the fame, the power, the girl, the boy, fill in the blank. You're still trying to get help there, even though you're crying out to God, because that's the thing you've been walking with when things are good. That's the thing you're attached to when things are good. And then all of a sudden when things go bad, you cry out for help and you're like, where's Jesus? It's not because Jesus isn't there. It's because you've been attached to something else. You didn't walk out with Jesus. And Jesus is like, I want to pull you up. I want to lift you out. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, athletes, you know, they give, you ever see athletes like win a game? They're like, I give all the glory to God. It was all him. I'm like, no, like, it's okay. It was you. You can say that. It's like some people say, like, when I preach a sermon, they're like, I know that wasn't you, Brian. That was God. I'm like, no, that was me. If it was God, <laughs> if, if it was God, it would have been way better. That was not me at all. <sighs> and I say that because people can be very good at what they do without God. You don't need to be successful. You can be successful without God. 
It's easy. But there's some places that you can only be with God. Does that make sense? There's, you can be successful without God, but there's some places in your journey on the other side of the wall that you can only be if you are with God. And, and he, he, he's out there with Jesus, and it, you've got to, he sees this moment, and he says, God, I'm all yours. You've heard him. Like, he's called us, Missy O'Day. You've stepped into a territory you could never walk before. We're going to fail. It's going to happen. Failure's going to happen. We're going to sink. And they're watching God do something extraordinary. And none of the disciples had any faith to step into it. Wouldn't it have been amazing if all the disciples just got out of the boat and just had this massive party out on the lake? This would have been amazing. We're coming! We're here! Um, and so they, they are completely terrified. Now, I think this is also interesting. It says, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Um, I think a lot of times what we do when people are drowning, we come to them and we're like, I told you. I told you you should have done this. I told you. I tried to tell you this. Tried to Jesus doesn't do that. He immediately grabs him and pulls him up. And then he has the conversation with him. And he says, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they, now listen, and when they got in the boat, I've never caught this until to this week studying this. Um, I've always envisioned Jesus getting them back in the boat and being like, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt? Why'd you do this? It doesn't say that. Where did, where did he have the conversation with them of you of little faith? Why did you doubt? On the water. So I don't, I don't know. My sanctified imagination wants to think that Peter's just standing on the water and they're like, Jesus like, let's have a conversation. I'm not, oh yeah, the wind, storms, yeah, I'm not in a hurry. Are you in a hurry? No, I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> and um, I just want to talk to you. Like, dude, why'd you, why'd you doubt? Like, you can walk on water. And, and you doubt it. And, like, you don't have to do that. You can walk back to the boat. Like, I think, I don't, I don't know if that's what happens. I think a lot of times we picture, I think a lot of times this gets taught as, like, uh, Jesus carried Peter like a girl or a baby and, like, coddled him back to the boat. Or, like, he didn't make him swim back to the boat. I don't know what happened. But I like to imagine that he stood there in the middle of the storm talking to Jesus. And that he walked back together because it says, and they got into the boat. And then the wind ceased. And I love that the storm didn't cease until then. Like, Jesus could have calmed this whole storm before all this. That would have made more sense. Like, hey, storm's quiet. Peter, let's talk. See, things are good. No, he's like, storm raging around Peter, going crazy. And he's like, just me and you. Right here. Right here. I am. I am. And for many of you, the storm is going on right now. And you need to hear those words, take courage, I am. You're like, God, I need help. He's like, I am. I need a rescuer, I am. I need a drink, I am. I need someone to take me where I've never been before and to be present with me, I am. I'm not going to make it, I am. I can't do this any longer. I need a rescuer. I am. And Jesus is with you today in the midst of all this, and he's saying, you have little faith. I can do this. I can take you out of this. I can get you on the other side of the wall, and you can experience a second wind. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Amen, Miss Day. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray for us this morning. Um, I 
pray that in this room that we would get up, that we'd have the courage, the courage to get up after we've drowned, to see that you are there with us. You want us to just get out of the boat and go to you, take the risk. For many of you, you, you've seen where you've come from and you look at your past and you're, when you look at your past, it tells you, you you're being defined, you're defined by your past. I can never because of my past. I could never this because of my past. I can never overcome. I can never experience the other side of the wall of this, the thing that I'm facing. I'll never get to the other side. I'll never experience a second wind. I'll never live that life. And God is here to say that you are not defined by your past. That I know things feel scary to you right now. I know things feel overwhelming to you. But you are not defined by those things. Because your God is a God that walks on water and doesn't pass you by. He looks you right in the face. says, take courage. It is I. Do not God, I pray that you would bring courage to us this morning. Courage to walk on water with you, knowing that we are going to fall, but you're going to be right there to save us. Help us detach from the cares of this world. Detach ourselves from the things we hold on to so with clenched fists. God, right now, for many of you, the, the call is that you would just let go of the outcome that you're, ho- you're expecting. Let go of the thing that you're wanting, to let go of the thing that you're demanding of God to do for you and replace that clinch holding Jesus' garment, holding just the hem of his garment and saying, God, heal me. So God, would you move in us? Would you create a, God, we are eager to discover the second We are eager, God, with anticipation to hear how you're going to move this year at Missio Day Lincoln Square, how you're going to save, how you're going to cause more people to fall in love with Jesus than ever before, how you're going to see injustices made right more than ever before, how you're going to bring your spirit and fill others with your spirit more than ever before. God, we stand exhausted, but we know you will cause us to live a life our full potential with little exertion. I don't know what else is good news other than that, Miss Yoday. So God, would you do what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys stand as we worship. Um, we're going to worship and sing some more songs. Um, we're going to take communion and remember Jesus' death and resurrection for us. To my right, there's a bread that represents his body and the cup represents his blood spilled for you. And as you come, I pray that you would just meet Jesus, whatever God's speaking to you. And then we have prayer leaders that are going to be available. Um, if we could have our prayer leaders stand up here today um, to my left next to the speaker, um, we'd love to pray for you. If, for you, if it's a, it's a, you don't even know what you need to do right now, but you know that you need to get, you, 
you want God to say, God, blow a new wind in me. Blow a new wind inside of me. One of the reasons I think Jesus kept the storm going was because when Peter got in the boat, Peter knew that there was a stronger wind inside of him than the wind blowing outside of him. So we, we want to come and pray that God would...